Do you remember that idea I had about working stuff out on my own and then finding it once I figured stuff out? The ellipsis? Yeah, the ellipsis. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's an awful idea. And I'm not going to do it, okay? Because like you said, this is it. This is life. And I'm in love with you, Samantha. I think that's the only thing I've ever been really sure of in my entire life. I'm really messed up right now, and I got a whole lot of stuff I got to work out, but I don't want to waste any more of my life without you in it, okay? Yeah. And I think I can do this. I mean, I want to. I mean, we have to, right? Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> so what do we do? Welcome back to the garage. Welcome to another edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my bosom buddy, Bobby Castron. Hey, Bob. Hey, Dan. Chris Kattan sounds different tonight. Oh, I love when Chris Kattan comes up because he doesn't come up in any other circumstance. You know who else comes up a lot in this garage? Who's that? The man sitting between us. A beautiful man. A man from Arizona, a man that loves the Cardinals and facial hair in this in this decade. I mean, he's really into it. He's really embracing it. He's embracing it. Jason Zumwalt's back in the garage. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm three beers in, by the way. And this Uh-oh. is po- this is podcast one. Okay, <laughs> three, three beers in as we were just like getting set up. Yeah, yeah. Pretty you're, much. You're going for it. Odds that the second podcast we record tonight is not released. Oh, <laughs> in the vault it goes. Very, very high. <laughs> How's um, it going, boys? Glad to be here. You know, we love having Jay in the garage, and it's always special. So we decided it was time to roll out a podcast that we've talked about doing for months, Bob, right? We've been yeah. talking about this one for a long time. Uh, the Garden State soundtrack, and that, of course, you heard at the top, um, Natalie Portman. Uh, and we'll get to her role in this film uh, as the show goes on. And, of course, Zach Braff, the writer and director of Garden State 2004 coming of age movie that changed Jason's life. I know. Uh, well, the film is about me. It's about my life. <laughs> Zach and I. Zach we, studied you. He followed yeah. you around for a while. We backpacked in 1998, and I told him my life story. And then this motherfucker. I just, feel like you're owed some residuals. Yeah. Well, you would think. You would think. Man, they will only sue us for using the soundtrack songs on right. this episode. That's right. Nobody to absorb it, but. Dork face from Australia. What's his name? Hey. <laughs> Wait a second. How, you know what? How dare you insult is our sponsors? It, is that Only, guy still giving you money? No, he's not giving us well, money anymore. But he's still highly respected in this Only garage. Only we get right. to call our, our sponsors our Patreones. And what of was course, his name that was like? He still has a name. He's not dead, Jay. It's Kleiny. That's, that's Kleiny. Crikey, Kleiny. <laughs> the Garden State soundtrack is the topic today based on that 2004 movie. A movie, Bob, that... Uh, uh, as 1980 babies was right in our wheelhouse or was intended for the 24 year old male. Let's be honest, white male uh, Jay. And we'll also get into that. You you're what? Five years yeah. older than us. We're going to get the we're, We'll also so get where's the, Jay at when this movie's we'll out. We'll get too. the 40 something perspective from Jay. Jay was 47 years old when this movie came out. <laughs> so it's going to be nice to hear what he thought about it. That us young whippersnappers were running around New York city talking about the shins. Yes, so we're going to go through each of the songs on the soundtrack. It was, um, I mean, in terms of like the 2000s, that the decade, the aughts, was there a more famous soundtrack? Probably not. I mean, this was, it was a big 
movie for a lot of different reasons. It was a big soundtrack for a lot of different reasons. And like you said, this was in 2004, something that everybody was talking about. Now we talk about it, ironically, probably why we wanted to do this episode was to really dig in to the movie and how it's held up which is interesting to say the least. Right. We revisited this film. We did a homework. Uh, in the lead up to today's show. We did straight up homework for this episode. Dan texted and said we all had to watch the movie before we came to the garage. And did, I was miserable. Did you guys know this entire movie is on YouTube? You can watch it for free. What? For real? Yeah. I spent $4 on this thing. You don't have to. It's just on YouTube. Oh, Wait, my God. I'm the only one that had the DVD? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you know wow. what? That's, I may have it, but I don't know where my DVDs are. So. I took the DVD out and I put it into my PS4 and it I was like, I don't know if my PS4 plays DVDs, <laughs> but it did. <laughs> so I was able to revisit it uh, that way. This, by the way, this soundtrack that we're about to listen to uh, won a Grammy for Best Compilation Soundtrack. And here's what Braff had to say. And Braff, wow, Braff always to has to something there. to say. Braff, yes. He said, essentially, I made a mix CD with all of the music that I felt was scoring my life at the time I was writing the screenplay. And isn't it like kind of the dream he lived the dream. Everyone, people that obsess over mixtapes, uh, as we all did. I don't know, Jay. Were you a big mixtape guy in your youth? I made, I made them, but like I, we went over this uh, when we did the, uh, the episode on. Bobby I was drunk, so I don't. I did, I never really had a true connection to him. I made a couple to a couple of girls, right. but. Oh, right. Last time you were on the show, you were for half of the episode, you were searching through your old Hotmail archive. Trying I was trying to, find to track a... down an old love letter. <laughs> How did that go? I mean, she has it. Did she ever reply to you? She did. She has. She. This is what she said. I have all of my love letters and you wrote a couple. Ooh, I so like that. She printed them a bit up. Of a power play. Yeah, by, you've uh, been relegated she, to a box a with yeah. all of the others. I was glad to get in. One of her boxes. Hello. <laughs> we never had That's why he's here. Hey. Um, you never. Nope. Oh, wow. No wonder you're writing all these letters. The story keeps on getting sadder. <laughs> I'm a loser. But Bob and I have made uh, many, 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 many uh, mixtapes, both for women and in our own, for our own, like, fun. And uh, Braff did it. But he got to do it for a movie that he, he wrote, an indie movie that became an unexpected hit. And now he has a Grammy yeah, sitting the, in his like and then fuck got chamber. The, then got the ultimate validation of like, oh, you know that little mix you put together? America loves it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Nobody else gets to do that. America also loved the movie though too. I mean, it was a it was a hit, wasn't it? It was a definite hit. It right? was. Well, the album sold over a million copies, which is outrageous. And the movie was made for like three million bucks and made close to forty, I believe. So and it was an independent film. It totally. Was, it, it was totally independent. He raised the money on. No, his own. I think it was Fox Searchlight. I mean, Zach Braff was already the guy from Scrubs when he made this movie. He was, yeah, he was. But he still, this was his directorial debut. He really had to hustle to get it made, and he did it. Did he ever put out another movie? I know. Remember, there was the yes. Kickstarter thing. But even that, because that was about that five years ago, made. and his bad optics. But because by then he had like fifty million in the bank from Scrubs money, and I'm sure he made a lot of money off this movie. And he asked the people that loved Garden State to fund making a tonal sequel of some kind. Does anybody know what happened with that movie? It was that a real movie, movie was funded by fans, and but then funded by a separate company afterwards, and all the fans got their money back. So, so basically oh. what he did was he proved that Garden State, the fan base of Garden State, could generate enough funds to warrant making yeah, another Yeah, and it kind, of, it kind of kicked off that whole thing for like Veronica Mars and different 
celebrities to use Kickstarter or, you know, Indiegogo or whatever to get the initial starter fund to show studios that there is interest in these things. Right. The movie came out. I don't think anybody was interested when it did come out. I can't even remember the name of it. Was Orlando Bloom in it? That sounds correct. Mm. Right? And and I think everybody was like, oh. And, and I want to say Rachel Bilson was in it. No, you're thinking of, I know this because my wife, my wife, my and, wife, and I, in a early stages of our dating, rented that movie you're talking. I think it was called Last Kiss. And um, Braff was in it, and it was the girl from the OC. That's oh, that's movie. that movie. But that's not the movie. It's not the that movie. That was just the movie he starred in after Garden State, and people were like, oh, is this the but next But I think he Braff directed joint? that movie. I think he did. Did he? Wish I, I Was so. Here was the other movie right. that oh, we're okay. thinking of. Wish I in, Was Here. Came out Perfect. 2014, starring Kate Hudson. Oh, my God. Wish I Was Here. That's Wish I Was Here, you guys. I was, you know, wish I was hair. It's too inside my own head to be here. Uh, I couldn't. Be I couldn't I was hair, but, no, whatever. <laughs> I wish I was I'm there. busy listening to the shins. I guess whatever. Well, we we almost made it ten hair. minutes into the pod without you guys doing a bad Zach Braff voice. <laughs> we <laughs> almost made it without I mean, being mocked. To you, it seems that I'm here, but. And I think about where I am. It's now you're just doing here. Ray Romano, <laughs> which he slips into in the film. No, you Ray, know what else he slips into? A lot of Vinny Barbarino. Oh, oh, I know he is a Jersey oh. guy, but like, <laughs> oh no, I do not hear Jay smack the microphone stand for the first time of many. Uh, I do not hear many Jersey accents. They're like, hey, Sam, you can't be doing this. It's like, what, what the, where, like, where does it come and from? By the way, accent? everybody else who 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 lives in Jersey in the film, no one has that accent. <laughs> no, not a single person. It's a person. totally bizarre movie. Just, a totally bizarre move by Braff. Just the guy who's spent his entire adolescence in a boarding school in Los Angeles sounds like he just is working at the pizzeria shop down the street. <laughs> oh, hey. All right, you ready to get into it? I just, only if we promise not to make fun of this movie. Okay. Only if we promise to take it very seriously. I have, I have thoughts. Respect it and give it the amount of respect it deserves for being as important as it thinks it is. <laughs> That's certainly. True. I almost made it to I the will, end of the sentence. I but will give it the respect it deserves for being as important as. We're it We're going to get into that because yes. I have thoughts both about like when it when it came out, uh, what it felt like, and wh- how important it felt, and rewatching it, which was kind of an interesting rewatch, I have to say. But let's get into it. Right now, boys, track one from a little band out of London, I think. Coldplay. <laughs> That's how you set up a song, Bob. With I think. A little band near London. A little band technically in England. All right, of course, a band we've covered on this very podcast, but not their debut album, which is the first song off the first album by Coldplay, Don't Panic, and it is also the first song off the Garden State soundtrack. How have we not done this album? We got to do Parachutes. This is one that's high on my list that we have to do. You've never done Parachutes. We have not. We We did A Rush of Blood to the Head with Mark Sessler, but we have not done Parachutes. Uh, Jason, how do you feel about Coldplay? I love Coldplay. 
Really? Because yes. I have I have no negative feelings. About that's that. not what your tattoo says. Oh shit, you guys! Bob, <laughs> Jay's famous. I hate Chris Martin tattoo. <laughs> it's well, coming to light. His, it's, on his neck. As a whole, I like the band, but I want that man to die a horrible <laughs> no, you death. Can't, you can't separate the he two. He broke Gwyneth's heart, you guys. <laughs> it was a conscious uncoupling, Jay. Oh, uh, this is a great song. It's a really this great is a meaningless song. meaningless tattoo now. It is a great. <laughs> let's listen a little bit more. It's completely lost to the sands of time now, but they sounded a lot like Travis around this era when they came out this is this could be a travis song oh absolutely it yeah. was yeah at this time it was like it was like a fight between coldplay and travis to see who could cry the most before getting late yeah they were fighting to see <laughs> or after who, getting late who, yeah. the, who the press would call shitty radiohead they were both fighting for that title <laughs> right. and coldplay won sorry did travis. they though did they <laughs> let's dig into that fellas no um they also open the movie opens with that uh with this song so it is. I have to say this first thing. Revisiting the movie, um, all the songs. That fucking son of a bitch, Braff. He nailed it. He did, dude. The, the music. The, all the songs we're gonna hear. I like almost every song. And when they show up in the movie, they show up in really good points. And they they either hammer home uh, a scene or really serve as a nice kind of accoutrement, if you uh, if you mm -hmm. will. It's it's. He did it. He, he son of a bitch did it. He definitely did it. Like the music is perfect throughout. And I love that he, he, there wasn't necessarily a theme. It wasn't like, I'm only going to use music that came out between 2002 and 2004. It wasn't like an American pie thing where it was like, we need to do all the pop punk from 1998. It was like, he used like Paul Simon and Coldplay, which, you know, broke three years earlier and music that was about to break. He did a great mix of just hitting everything in this movie. It really is like, and the movie itself, it's kind of like, it it feels like the dream scenario for any actor who's in the position that Braff was in at the time. It's like, like he's got a TV show, people are beginning to know who he is. He's making money. All of a sudden, he's like, oh, my spare time, I want to make a movie. And then he, it's like first draft of this script, which it really does feel like the first draft. I, I don't know how you guys feel about. Why it. do you say that? There's. Nothing <laughs> makes real sense. I did that. I was kind of struck by the, the as, some of the aspects of the like script that, in terms of like what what drives the movie and the sadness behind his soul. The idea that he not <laughs> the idea that not only was did the woman die, she drowned in the bathtub, and not only did she drown because you know sometimes people drown in a bathtub. It's because she was paralyzed and a paraplegic, and not only was she a paraplegic. He pushed her, and not only did he push her, there was a dishwasher that was broken that led to her hitting her neck or head on the counter. It was like, how did he even come up with this shit? <laughs> like, maybe this well, is something that gets smoothed out in a second draft because it just seemed a little wild that he came up with. First, by, of, by first the way, of all, first of all, way. hold on. Yeah. Spoiler alert, Dan. Wow. Wow, wow dude. I'm that dude. Wow. If I saw it, you saw it. Oh, oh you better have. You're I'm Vinny Barbarino. I think it's out of Zach Brass <laughs> trying to pick up Natalie Portman over here. I don't know. It's my hair. It's my hair. <laughs> I think it's well, you're like up. 12 years old. 
<laughs> just don't spoil a 15-year-old movie. Um, it's so cute when you're tap dancing for no reason. But after I told you that my mom died. It's so great. <laughs> Is that walking a little bit? Too? <laughs> uh, it felt to me like... Wait, Jay, can you give us a little Christopher Walken discussing accidentally pushing his mother over a dishwasher, broken dishwasher door leading to her becoming a paraplegic action? My mom... I'm the reason she was paraplegic. It was one of those things, a freak accident. It was really just a freak accident. My mom, she was depressed all my life. I was nine years old. I just pushed her and the goddamn dishwasher latch. My life has been predicated entirely on a two and a half inch piece, plastic. <laughs> it's so much better oh when he does God, it. By the way, I want way. to see that movie. <laughs> I want to see that movie. Such a better movie. Such oh, a better movie. Man. But that was—I didn't want to uh, jump your point there. But it did strike me, uh, young Braff coming up with the screenplay of how does he get to this place? The story behind the mother's life and how it—it it was pretty like wild. Like how do you even? It's like something you come up with on acid. Or I something. liked the way that he rolled that out kind of bit by bit. Like that felt like a very indie movie move to me. I think that the thing that I felt in general about this movie was it was this little indie movie that was also appealing to a broad audience, trying to be like a pop movie. And that's where it kind of felt like an indie movie in search of a plot. Like yeah. When it became, let's find, let's go on this adventure to find this thing that this guy at the bottom of a rock quarry has. That's where it felt to me like, all right, another draft or kind of figuring out what is the plot of this movie could have helped the it along. Fucking rock quarry. There, it just felt like there was no development in the. In, it just felt like there was no development in the in the production of the of, of the story. And before we, yeah, before we get into the second song, I think it's important for everybody at home to just understand, or in the car, wherever you are, to understand that um, Jason and I wrote a movie called Flock of Dudes, which is perfect. You guys nailed it. So you can't find any flaws in that movie. So we are actually, yeah. believe it or not, we are experts and we are I was going to say you're equals with Brad. No, 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 no. But, no, but you guys made a perfect movie. We made a perfect movie. So we are qualified to tear the super successful uh, Touchstone movie into shreds. Because I, I'm going to have to agree with you 100%. Thank you. Yeah. I, have, I don't even have a joke. It's that good. <laughs> Block of Dudes, available at Blockbuster Video <laughs> in New Zealand. Literally the end of the world. New Zealand, man. Too soon, bro. <laughs> Zach introduced a lot of people um, to the shins, myself included. This is Caring is Creepy off the O, comma, Inverted World album, but a track two here on the Garden State soundtrack. And uh, also the shins are probably the most memorable line of the movie well, is Portman. Yeah, this is the other shin song on the Garden State soundtrack. And it's so good. This is such a great album. This is another one that's on that 
list of alternative albums I would love to cover on the pod at some point. I don't mm. know if you guys are Shin Files. Are you? Shins? We're gonna hit the Shins hard here, uh, but I would be down to dig in on the Shins. They are, I think, in a way, an underappreciated band because they've just been so consistent from Oh This Inverted World until now. Like everything they do has the same sound, but it's like evolved over the years and they're just a really great band. I'd love to talk to the lead singer of the Shins. I assume his name is Gary Shin. James Murphy Shin. <laughs> no, I think I'm right. <laughs> and ask him if if ultimately the Garden State soundtrack I think I know what his answer would be, but if it, it was a good thing or a bad thing, uh, obviously it put them on the map, but also kind of hung over them in a way, p- cast a pretty big shadow over them for the rest of their career. I think it I think it really just highlighted the song we'll get to later, New Slang. I don't think they suffered from it at all. Like, I don't think it was like a, they became a joke because of it. Like, it was more the use of that one particular song. It just connected them to this movie, right. which was great in 2004, but then 2014, for instance, it's not so great to be connected to Garden State, which is still, it's a little but weird it, how I, we've turned on the movie I as don't know, a culture. I think, but but I, we didn't turn far enough where I don't think it's irredeemable to you. Why do you think this movie kind of hit when it when it hit? What do you, what do you think the what do you think it was at the time in 2004? I think honestly that it was the fact that we were we were looking for these indie movies at the time. Like indie movies were their own genre and they still are, but they were their own genre and this was something that kind of crossed over that had a pop sensibility thanks in part to the music and the guy from Scrubs and Natalie Portman were able to take a sort of normal kind of indie movie and make it bigger. So what I think we think were excited that? to see a movie like that. Um, I agree with that. And I think that the idea of a movie that, because it got compared to The Graduate a lot, um, or that's what Braff obviously was kind of gunning for, that type of, this is the story of what it's like to be in your 20s. And it became, since it, it got good reviews and it started to get some buzz, if you were in your 20s, you went to see the movie and you kind of, this is where it gets a little embarrassing. You kind of watch the movie. You're like, yep, this is my life, too. Although I never put my mom in a wheelchair, thankfully. Yet. Yet. But I think the idea of a movie that was about being in your mid-20s in in that time of your life, I think it connected with a lot of fucking people. And I'm sure if you were younger when this movie came out, it probably was something to look forward to. Oh, this is what your 20s are like. They're very interesting and difficult but you meet people and you fall in love i think all that stuff he kind of nailed this idea of living your life in your 20s and it's all very important and it's very trenchant and everything's profound and when you're 24 like we were when i watched that movie i was like fuck i'm in the middle of the shit right now man and (laughs) zach gets me (laughs) and i think what happens if we got older and a lot of people especially people that write about pop culture got a little embarrassed about being as self-serious as you are when you're 24, which is very. Yeah, you realize nothing's that important from being 24. What, what month did it come out in, in 2004? I do have that answer, Jason. Why don't I look that up and then play the too. next song? All right, well, let's listen to the beginning of track three. It's 07, In the Waiting Line. I think this is during an ecstasy trip for Lauren. Yeah, this is, a, this is the party, yeah. Andrew Lar- the blonde. Oh, she was nice. She was special. Good I looked, casting. I looked her up. What does that mean? Sugar Love! 
So this this song was perfectly used in that oh, scene. Yeah, perfectly. Yeah. It like Oh, he nailed this. I love the the visual effects too of the speeding up and slowing down and this song just really just like enhanced that moment. Definitely. Definitely. Not exactly how you feel when you're on ecstasy. Right, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, but, but but still, it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. In the mo- and, and, and for me, I actually think it didn't last long enough. Like, I would have liked to kind of get a little pure cinema in that moment. Dig in, Jay, dig in. Like 30 seconds. That's really all I got to say. But I want to get back to why this movie hit in 2004. Ooh. I think this movie hit in 2004 because it was the last moment that the, com- that the country needed to just kind of feel good and simple and innocent after 9-11. And I'm not... I'm not and Are we putting this on the board? This Put is Braff on the board? This is ultimately going on the board. But this isn't just about that. I really do believe that. And I believed it when I saw the movie. I was like, oh, this is... This is nice. Like, you know what? Because it was a... It's a simple story. Yeah. The stakes are not huge. It's about this, this relationship that this guy has with his manic pixie dream girl and trying to figure out his life. It's not too heavy. It's just a simple love story. Really. It wasn't about war. By the way, when we went into war, when we went into Iraq in 2003, there were like three or four different war films and movie theaters at the right. time. Like, like we were all just like, can we just, we just want to like, <laughs> we just want to hang out in Jersey for, a, you know, a little By bit. the way, when I call it a love story, it's Zach Braff's character, Andrew Largeman, in love with himself. Not, not. The right. No, I got that. Sam. Yeah. By the way, guys, um, you're not wrong. This movie came out in July 2004. You know what happened on July 4th, 2004? 4th cor- of July. The cornerstone of the Freedom Tower was laid on the site of the World Trade Center in New York City. Yeah, we did it! Put it on the board! You eat it, Bin Laden! We beat the machine! We beat the machine! The hand motions are just taking us to the next level. Oh, we, you know, about that. I know exactly that. I remember that day vividly (laughs) because we um, we drove up to Rhode Island for Buddy Elliot's Fourth of July party, and there was the girl that I was dating at the time, Mm -hmm. um, and she lived at home with her family. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy we're going to get into this. She was a she's a sweet girl. I, I really liked her a <laughs> That's lot. That's how you know this is going to be a good story. That's and, how you know there's going to be nudity involved. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really liked her a lot, and she's really a good girl. But um, good girl, sweet girl. Uh, she never, she never let me go to her house. She lived oh. with her parents, and oh, no. and she never, for whatever reason, I don't know if it, if, if it was a strict upbringing or. Or, or, or your face. <laughs> or my face or what it was. Um, but uh, whenever I said, because I used, I lived in Hoboken at the time uh, and this was in Rockland County. So I did kind of like a reverse commute. So I didn't have a, a home base and we worked together. I didn't have a home base for us to have relations. Sure. So, um, I, you know, it's what about your parents? Play? No, it was always off limits. Maybe dad was unemployed. I don't know. I have no or, idea. Or she just didn't want to bring this. Maybe their dishwasher was defective. I don't know. The door <laughs> swung open. There were a lot of, I killed my mom. There were a lot of dishwasher accidents around this time, so you got to be careful. <laughs> so I'm not proud of this, but um, part of our relationship became when we needed a place uh, to get together, There's there was a uh, comfort in. 
uh, hotel. No way. Uh, yeah, that was. was a couple of miles away from our office. And uh, we would sometimes get together like as like 47 year old people in an affair. Right. Would do. Only we were both single. What was her and name? Young. I don't I won't say her name. Oh, OK. We'll call her Remy Zero. And and wow, uh, like and you know what? I think the people at the hotel called her Remy Zero because she was there a lot. Like they knew her by first name. And, and she my... was always drunk on Remy Martin. Her <laughs> name it... was Cinnamon. She worked the corner. <laughs> she didn't want to let Dan know where she lived. Yeah, this sounds like an episode of The Deuce. <laughs> yeah, I and I still feel bad about it because like I didn't really have any money, and and then I would she would sometimes pay for the hotel, and there was it was a weird the hotel thing. It was just a sad time in my single life before I met my wife. Anyway, it wasn't that sad. You, you were you were not a sad guy in the moment. I was enjoying myself, and it was fun to have this. But but when you look back, back, you're like, thank hey, God I didn't get something that made my you're, dick fall. You're off. looking back on that the way that we look back on Garden State, like a little bit like what was happening back then. And by, Jay, it should be known, and the, anybody that works at the Comfort Inn, it was excellent. It was very clean, and it <laughs> was well kept. Comfort Inn. <laughs> Comfort in in Rockland County. Stay a while. It stay a little. Sleaze, it was a stay. Hotel. Whatever you want. We won't ask questions. This was no, hey. The this was no flea bag hotel. Be quiet, Brad. But so uh, July fourth, uh, I had, and this was a big deal, Bob. I invited this particular woman, Remy, Remy up to my college buddy's Fourth of July party in Rhode Island. So yep. the three of us, me, Bob, and Remy, we're going to go together. And I said, okay, we'll come pick you up. I don't know if you drove or if I drove. I think you might have drove. I think I might have. And um, I'll pick you up. What's your address? We'll go pick you up at your place. And you said, no, 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 no. Just pick me up at the Comfort Inn. And we picked her up in the This bitch was lot. living at the Comfort Inn, dude. First of like, all, why are you calling her a bitch? Whenever you That's went, problematic. Whenever you went into the room, was there like a suitcase in the corner <laughs> and like, you know, like toiletries in the bathroom? No, but there was always like a 44-year-old man putting on his socks. <laughs> Oh. And just on his way out. Pretty boys here again. Huh? <laughs> That's actually how we met. But the end, the end of this, <laughs> the end of the story is, uh, I struggled um, with that because I was trying to, in a way, talk myself into getting into a relationship with her. Right. And she wouldn't even let me drive no, to her house to pick her up. She you, went to the place where we were having it was this like dirty when, carnival. It was thing. like when Zach dated the homeless girl. You had to kind of deal yes. with that. Yeah. It was uncomfortable. Say by the bell reference. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, here we go. Here's some more shins. And we had a nice time in Rhode Island with Remy. But Lovely girl. Sweet girl. Comfort in. Nice place. Gold teeth and a curse for this town. Raw in my mouth. Only I don't know. Okay, she always paid when we went to the comfort. <laughs> oh, and as I'm now that I'm older. I look at it as like my 9-11. After me and my college girlfriend broke up and I was kind of wandering for a couple of years there, and I wouldn't give myself to this girl, I would never open myself emotionally. Fully, right. And then I would just, on top of it, just kind of be a dick. And I feel bad about that. But Maybe I'll she, cut her a check one day. But she was <laughs> that makes it married worse. with three kids. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, you were a young piece of meat. Jay, when the music comes up, that. you gotta stop talking. You are a young boy. <laughs> she was a young boy, old Jay. She was a flower. That's part of what made it hurt. A young boy. All right, this is the most famous uh, Shin song. Um, 
And it's also the song that Natalie Portman's character, Sam, when they meet in the lobby of the neurologist, she says, this song will change your life. New slang, which is strong in retrospect. An iconic line. I mean, we can make fun of it all we want. That moment became the moment from the movie that I think people remember the most. This song is going to change your life. Headphones on. New slang starts playing. And then he he listens for about 15 seconds. He's like, I like it. It's good. Yeah. See, that was the funny part watching. (laughs) Rewatching the movie. That was the part that stuck out to me. It was like, oh, he only gave it like nine seconds. Yeah. Very understated reaction to it. And it's like it never comes up again. So, you know, it's not like we even know that he's listening to it. But I, I want to, since we're talking about Portman's character, I just want to bring up that I, I have a lot of issues revisiting the movie with how strange their relationship is. And having, we all know beautiful girls. We love beautiful girls in the movie. Yes. And the professional. Professional, I don't really know as well. I don't even but, know if but I But she was it. legit a child in that Yes. Way. And, and she walking was. walking around in, you know fishnet stockings and whatnot. Right. So she played that kind of Lolita type vibe in that movie, obviously. And in Beautiful Girls, a movie that I don't know how well it's aging. It's one of my favorite <laughs> movies. I do watch it at least once a year. It's a great movie. Yeah. I love Beautiful Girls. But he, in fact, she's, I think, 13 in real life when the when they filmed the movie, 14, maybe 15. And the lead character is like a 35-year-old guy. He was, supposed, falls in love he was supposed to be 27. Oh, you're supposed to be. Okay. Yeah. But, but he was way. clearly like pushing 40. No, no. I mean, right. He was. It was Timothy Hutton. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the weird thing. Here's the weird thing about um, this movie is that I can't get over how she's still playing a little girl. And even though he's, I looked it up. He was, he's in real life. He's born, I think he's the same age as you, Jay. I think he's born in 75. She's born in 81. So there's a six year difference when the movie was shot. So in 2004, he was, what were you in 2004? Uh, uh, not, mm. <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard. Christ. shouldn't be that hard. 29? 29, and she would have been 23, 22, or whatever. Right. Um, which isn't a big deal, but the way the movie is presented, she seems like, to me, she's like 12 years old well, and he's 40. You know, I was So wa- it's a little bit uncomfortable. Watching this, uh, my wife was sitting next to me. She goes, how old is she supposed to be? Yeah. Because she starts out the movie acting like, a 15-year-old. A, a, a child. I will say that as the movie goes on, what I thought she did well, because that first scene, she's so abrasive. And the next couple of scenes, she's an insane lunatic. All right. Hold that thought. I will. Oh, my. I am so lean. That was like, really, I'm, I'm sorry. I forget I just said that. I'm, that's dumb. And you know what I do when I feel completely unoriginal? I I make a noise or I do something that no one has ever done before and then I can feel unique again even if it's only for like a second all right so uh, go on Bob because that's she dresses like a little girl right she talks like a little girl like a little girl with her legs with her knees up and he looks like a beaten down old John Travolta sitting there she's very petite she's very small Mm -hmm. And she's young in real life, 22, but she could pass as a high school girl. And he looks to me like a guy that's around 30. And to me, it many and it didn't happen when I was 24. But now when I'm watching it, I'm 38. It w- took me out of the movie a lot to the point where as the movie goes on, she magically all of a sudden gets older. And it's she, a little bit of a tonal disconnect. Yes. There's a scene where all of a sudden they're at a bar and they're both like working on beers. And she's drinking a beer like somebody that's drank a lot of beers before. 
And I'm just like, wait, what's happening? I thought she's 12. Like in my brain, she didn't seem like someone who'd ever had a beer. And I don't know if that's like just a, an inconsistent, like the inconsistency of like when you're putting together this movie, your your character isn't fully thought out or you're kind of going back and forth. Or if it was a conscious thing of like, let's introduce her this way. Because by the end of the movie, she's likable and she's way less insane. And she kind of levels off. But for those first few scenes, I was watching the movie thinking, why did America fall in love with her during this? Because she is so irritating. It's a bit of a, I think maybe in jail, I'd be curious what your thoughts are. Like, to me, like watching it, she kind of got handed a bit of a shit sandwich with the script and what the character was. And then she's such a great actress, obviously. She tried to make the most of it. But to me, it's weird. And it's really more on Braff probably than her she kind of stands out as the problem with the movie for the first half of it, at least. I think that, I think the biggest problem with this movie and in some ways it helps it in some ways it, it hurts it is casting because, because you obviously need someone who's been in film, who has uh, appeared in pictures that people go, Oh, that, that person to kind of match to sit next to Zach in these, in these scenes. Right. And, I feel like if you took this character and replaced it with, say, a Maggie Gyllenhaal, right? And and she was a Jersey broad who had these quirks. Hmm. She would be a hundred times more interesting than the manic pixie dream girl, which was not a thing until this movie. Like it would be, it was a, it was an idea, but this movie is the thing that took that to the next level because exactly. she is so manic, she is so pixie. And Dream Girl, she was because she's aggressive. <laughs> and, think, that's, and that's what I'm I saying. I think that's how that, simple. It doesn't make sense. That's how simple guys are. That I think the reason we all kind of fell in love with Natalie Portman in this movie was that she was like immediately into him. Yeah. And that's all guys want. Like girl, right. girl next door. Like sit, that person like doesn't sad. really exist. That's exactly. And yeah. girl and next door like did the same thing. Bring out my happiness. Girl that's next door did the same thing with Alicia Cuthbert where she's like immediately into Emile Hirsch. So <laughs> if you're watching that movie, you're like, Which oh really my God. Sense. Who wouldn't be into Emile Hirsch, especially after he chokes a woman at Sundance? <laughs> what? You know, the one thing with Hollywood did get right, and they they really fell behind on the curve before before the Me Too reckoning. Uh, they did cast out Emile Hirsch after he choked a Hollywood executive. But that had more uh, to do at, with at, that, at, uh, Sundance. Yeah, that had more to do with Speed Racer. <laughs> Wait, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Um, Somebody was like, Speed Racer was terrible. I'm going to choke you. That's overreach, bro. It wasn't a good movie. All right. Uh, next track, it is Colin Hay, who... No, it's actually, it's Colin Hay. Hey. Hey. A lot of people don't realize that Colin Hay was the lead singer of... The Hold Steady. Oh, that's a great guess, but no. No? Okay. Bob? The Decemberists? No. Oh. The Breakfast in the Morning with... Let's listen to a little bit more of the song, and then I will tell you the trivia answer. What is closer to the truth? That if I lived till I was a hundred and two, I just don't Um, this song is incredibly um, 
hard to listen to because referring to the uh, college girlfriend breakup, this song floored me in my age 24 season uh, to use an NFL term because I was like, this song speaks to me. I think I put it on a really sad mix. Makes sense. Uh, at Who some did point, you give that mix to? My ex-girlfriend from college. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? What, man? It's, it's actually pretty good. Pretty sad. I get no, it. No, it's It's a great, great song. It's a great song. You were like, wow. Oh. Well, we, we've covered this you on the pod. mind your pain. I would, um, many mixes would be sent after the relationship was over, which yeah. is a little outside the box thinking in retrospect. <laughs> but at the time, it's a, a great way stalkery. To, it's a great way to stay outside the box. It's a great way to get arrested <laughs> in 2019. That's well put, by the way, Bob. Thank That's you. how you stay outside the box. Yep. Um, but that is Colin Hay. The lead singer of. No, I don't got it. You still don't have it? No. All right, you ready? Yeah, please. Are you ready? You're, this is going to blow your mind. Deep Blue Something. <laughs> Sister yeah. Hazel. OAR. The lead singer of. Are you ready? I'm getting there. Here it comes. Seven Mary Three. What? What? Really? Colin Hay was the lead singer of Men at Work. What? Holy shit. That makes shit. sense. I, I, I knew I knew the name. I'm fucking blown away right now. <laughs> hey, you owe... T-I-L, bro. T-I-L. Uh, consider that an apology, Kleine, and all of our Australian listeners. We're going to celebrate some of Australia's greatest right now. A little Men at Work. Some of this is the top of the Australian food train. Uh, food chain, isn't it? <laughs> so this, and I got to give... And this, for the record, not on the Garden State not soundtrack. Not on the Garden State soundtrack. <laughs> but um, what's interesting, and again, props to Braff, who was, did a nice job. He, on Scrubs, which he, obviously, not only being the star, was also a big guy behind the scenes. And a lot of this type of music showed up on the Scrubs soundtracks mm -hmm. and he's the one colin hape started popping up on that show a lot on the soundtracks oh wow so he was a colin hay truther which you know who knew was a thing nice so he kind of brought colin hay's career as a solo act he has into a, the mainstream uh, on some level and ronk uh quality to him you guys know who that is is he australian moving on don't care <laughs> I only care about australian artists <laughs> right. anyway i just don't think i'll ever get over you is it's a pretty beautiful song. One of my favorite, um, like, slow acoustic numbers. Maybe Bob would show up on a certain mix. Well, I mean, it's got to be your favorite because when you sent it to your ex-girlfriend, she realized that you were the one for her and she got right back with you, right? That is exactly what happened. Okay, good. Only the opposite. She stayed with the guy and then met another guy and then got married and, and had multiple children. And then you children. met your wife, who you're currently living with, and have children with. I'm going to kill myself. Okay. All right.
All right, that's uh, the Carrie Brothers, Blue Eyes. The first song on this soundtrack that I actually don't like. In fact, I think it fucking sucks. Your thoughts? I was going to say I kind of like the song. Beautiful uh, song. What the fuck, I have bro? No, I have no what problem happened? with it. Uh, I don't know what it is about the song. <clears throat> I don't remember it in the movie, and it actually seems a little basic compared to the other songs we've heard so far. I it's think actually it the does mo- show up actually when she buries the the gerbil. Okay, I just couldn't remember. That yeah, makes it's sense. Yeah, at the end so. of that scene, that it, it literally sense, lasts yeah. three seconds. But it's a very basic song. Everything up until this point was interesting in some way. So I get why you have an adversity to it. I don't mind it. Like there was a lot of music like that around the time, like artists. Like what's this guy's name? Carrie. There you Brothers. Go. Yeah, there was a guy named Tim Easton who I liked around this time. It was very similar. Like. Non, not very discernible, but making music like this. I want to play um, because one thing from rewatching, it also reminded me, uh, despite people now being uh, holier than thou and completely not only saying that they don't connect with the movie. What's up? Jay's losing it. Uh Oh, it's that time. <laughs> what Did happened? you fart, bro? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't hear, you didn't hear a fart? I didn't hear a fart. Oh no, man! I'm going crazy. I'm, I'm fart schizophrenic. Okay, it might have it. been there was maybe a sound that was made. I don't know. Okay, we're good. All right, Sorry. Jay is. What is? How, what are we? Number five? Number four? Uh, five. Five. How old were you in 2004? <laughs> five. Number five. Oh, don't get pulled over tonight. Um, I'm staying well, here. Are you kidding? I'm sleeping in his guest what, room. Uh, what was I saying? No, right? I don't remember. I'm sleeping in your guest room, right? I think so, yeah. Okay. Please let him sleep here. <laughs> Please let him sleep Dan. here. I think you could drive home. Isn't that usually <laughs> the plan? No, you're absolutely welcome. Oh, that's what I want to say. Um, people are kind of holier than thou with the movie now, and, and it, you know, blog culture is turned against this film and all that, whatever. But rewatching reminded me there are some funny parts. Yes. It's a funny movie. Let's, 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 let me revisit starting. Shut up, Carrie Brothers, you fucking loser. <laughs> Let's listen to uh, a legitimately funny scene that holds up. Hey, man, what's up? Holy shit. How's it going? I, I haven't seen you since, like, junior year. Yeah. I thought you killed yourself. <laughs> what? I thought you killed yourself. That wasn't you? No, no, that, that wasn't me. Who killed themselves? I was a Gleason kid. Oh. oh, and Tina. Tina who? You remember Tina. She's anorexic, did gymnastics. Oh, gymnastics, Tina? How'd she do it? I don't know. She wasn't Jewish. I didn't bury her. I think it was sleeping pills. Or that car in the garage thing. I forgot. Um, what they did a good job with in this movie is large going home. So he's living in L.A. trying to make it as an actor. He's um, a problematic uh, waiter at a, a Vietnamese restaurant where mm-hmm. he draws on uh, eyes. Um, but the idea when you go home and then you see some people that never left and are a bit the townies, they, they do a good job with townie humor in this. Yes, they and do. That, and that dude is working at a hardware store. Townie humor is a hallmark of Beautiful Girls, which I think does it better just because I'm biased towards that movie. But this scene was very funny. Uh, I had a hard time enjoying it, though, just staring at the guy, knowing that he was uh, hooking up with Christina Hendricks in her prime. Oh my God, that's him! That's him! That's him. Oh my goodness! That is him. Yep. That's even a bigger shocker than Colin Hay was the men at work. Guy. <laughs> that's the buddy, guy that married buddy, Christina Hendricks. That guy was there. Is he still there? I he was there. I think he's still there. By the I way, I think he's. But he's also there. he's a fantastic actor. He's great. He's a great character. I, I don't know his name. Great character. Jeffrey, I want to say Jeffrey Armand. I mean, can you guys? Like I mean, you were, like that. He was you in the work Jedi in the business. Universe. Give the man a name at least. <laughs> Jeffrey Armenting. 
that. Is that it? It's very close to it's that. Something being Jeffrey, it. something, yes. right? Jeffrey. He's great. There's some there's also the guy, the townie um that went from doing blow off the urinals to becoming the townie cop. And he was in a yes. lot of stuff in that era, including Six Feet Under. I had to look it up because I was like, I know moment. who this guy is. And he was that guy of that era. He was the guy in Six Feet Under that kidnapped Michael C. Hall. In <laughs> That's that, right. In that amazing, like, people hated that episode. I love that episode. It was pretty ridiculous. That episode fucked me up because it was like just this random Did cart. he like try to kill him or something and then he survived Michael C. Hall? He like basically tormented him for the entire, the entire episode was a departure from a typical episode where he was just kidnapping David for the entire episode, like almost killing him the entire time. And it was like such a mind fuck the entire episode. And that was that guy. And he was really funny in this. He was funny in this. He And he also has that face where he seems like he's a little off, which, which good casting in Garden State to have him play the character is like he seems like a bit of a, a loose cannon. So they did a really good, uh, good job with that, I have to say. Jeffrey Arend. So I was close. I got it. I'll give myself that. Um, the funny stuff I noticed in this movie was less about the dialogue. He was really good at doing visual comedy in this. Like there were a few moments that were just standalone jokes. And they're like the most recognizable one is when he's wearing the shirt in front of the wallpaper. Mm, yes. You know, like there's no dialogue in that scene. It's just him doing that. Like that's the joke. Uh, when he pulls up and he gets out of his car and you see there's the gas pump still in his car. Like that's like he was good at like kind of interspersing those little moments throughout the movie. The comedy of this film, I just really quick, it goes back to, I feel like if the film was cast, if there were, if, God damn it, if Bill Hader was in this movie, if, if um, uh, Seth Rogen was in this movie, it would be a legit comedy. There's moments that, that actors like Peter Sarsgaard kind of completely miss, who, who, who I feel is kind of supposed to be the Spicoli of this film, but he's just like, you know, he's, He's got this kind of droo- droopy, that's kind the of gloomy yeah, energy that kind of not drags the movie down, but tonally puts it in a different I kept area. on thinking young John Malkovich when I was watching well, it. Well, yeah. Like yeah. he was trying to be a young John Malkovich. No, that's just who he is, though. Yeah. Maybe that a, dude is still that guy. Because he he's had a great career since. Fantastic career, yeah. I had that great moment when I looked up who that was, and it was Peter Skarsgård. And then I went through his IMDb. Peter Skarsgård, And yeah. I went through his IMDb. Umlaut. And realize this is the only Peter Skarsgård movie I've ever seen. Oh. I might be with you on that. You didn't see Green Arrow? Didn't see Green with Arrow. Ryan Reynolds? No. Where his head grew to like uh, three times its fucking normal size and he had superpowers? Never saw that. But it's, it's so weird, dude. I Why think you're you the only movie? person that saw I, Green Hornet. I, I like Ryan these movies. Reynolds. I like these <laughs> actors who are like very well respected when I realize like, oh, Meryl Streep. I've seen The Devil Wears Prada. This, this is somebody who's working Pump up in the, the music. <laughs> Let's talk about that, Bob. Pump up the music. Pump up the music. I thought you were going to put up the music. I thought you were going to put up the music after I said that. the devil wears Prada? I thought you were going to put up the music after I said that. All right. I'll let you up. <laughs> This song is um, Fair by Remy Zero, not my... Um, this I don't like. Not my past love. Um, yeah, this this song is kind of almost is the um, symbolic like cousin or the natural connector to Zach Braff and this movie where it's like really emotional and heavy yeah. and 
trying to make a big big statement and be profound and it just sounds in retrospect now just a little bit kind of overdone sounds like uh no patrol nailed it nailed it all right for those playing at home i want to um play another funny scene from the movie okay. on this topic how many songs have we done already and how many songs are left because we're like an hour in do you have to go pp well i do have to go pp but jason I have, have no to go pp qualms whatsoever about just heading out to how about backyard. um how about you don't worry about the, the the flow of the show and how long we've been going and you just enjoy the ride holy shit <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> dad <laughs> all right here we go you ready <laughs> that was fun <clears throat> excuse me i've seen for the record i've seen three meryl street movies sophie's choice no say what you said to her last night Kuntar Patiki Maya, Al Fuksu. You gotta be kidding me. It means I like to mate after battle. That's not what I said. Yeah. No, no, that wasn't the one I said. This one means kill Kirk and also hallelujah, depending on the context. <laughs> you must have got it confused with Brigitte Amour et que Fred Ishigat. Ah, that is good. You know what that means, Tim? Well, I do means get the fuck out of my house before I chop your fucking head off. And then there's the great scene. Big Bang Theory guy gets up and tells Large, you have balls written on your face. And then it clunks away in his suit of armor. In his suit of armor. Which, Emily, Emily, my wife and I were watching. Well, we I watched this in two parts to get through it. Um, Emily watched the first part, and then I watched the second half alone. But um, it was funny, I guess, a visual to have him in the medieval time suit. Um, yep. Big Bang Theory guy, but why would he be in the suit? Makes no sense. <laughs> why would he get sense. into his Jeep Wrangler? It's eight a.m. <laughs> all right, let's say it's the morning. Maybe he's going to work, but you would put the suit on once you got there. You wouldn't, right? I, that didn't check out to me. That's though. a first draft problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but that uh he, he was annoying me a little bit in this movie. Upon the rewatch, I don't, I don't know why. Like he got on my. I like your idea, Jay. If it was maybe somebody different in the role, it would have been a. If you rec- recast this movie with a different lead for Portman and a different SARS guard, it's probably a totally different movie. I don't think it's necessarily. It could be a better movie, maybe. I think it would probably resonate more today, but 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 it wouldn't have hit back then. Like this, this movie is perfect for that time. We needed Garden State in 2004. I really do believe that, you know, and, and, and that gets lost. And look, man, some films don't age well. You know, it just happens, you know. And, and that, that's the thing. That's the thing that gets lost in this film is it is a comedy. And I, I know that it takes itself seriously. And I know the music is kind of gloomy doomy, but it's a comedy. It's written as a comedy. It's acted as a comedy. It's just kind of acted dramatically in a comedic way it's almost like if there was a word to combine drama and comedy mm. somebody should do that mm. comrade that's it that's it comrade that's it oh you nailed it drama send it to the presses I could have been a sailor could have been a cook A real life lover could have 
This is the um, this is Nick Drake, um, one of these things first, and uh, this song made me when this song showed up in the movie and was on the soundtrack and people started to get into Nick Drake. Mm-hmm. That this it made me feel cool because I had a college friend, Pat McGinty, great guy, love Pat, love Pat. I haven't seen him in years and years and years, but he was a really cool and a lot really different guy. He um, introduced me. He, he burned me some CDs, Nick Drake CDs, when I was in college, including the Pink Moon album, which I think this might be on. Uh, if it's not on this album, it's on a second album. He burned me, so I kind of was aware of Nick Drake. So I was kind of ahead of the Drake curve. That's a good. And curve when you're to be 24 and yeah. it's 2004, you're like, all right, I'm pretty fucking cool. Still hate myself. I was more in the Jeff Buckley dead singer songwriter world, so I wasn't as plugged into Nick Drake. But this is such a good song. I love the song. This was, uh, yeah, for me, um, I felt a little resentful because this dude that I didn't know who the fuck he was got to use this song first. (laughs) Seriously, like I I, I love, I I actually, this is one of my favorite songs of all time. I absolutely Really? Oh yeah, I love Nick Drake. Keep that in mind for the uh, Spotify playlist. Oh, where, where, where? I absolutely love Nick Drake. I love, I love the story. I love everything except for the fact that there's no footage of this man playing music. So you like the fact that he was a tortured, mentally ill man that ended his life too soon. Well, the only thing you don't like is that there was footage or no footage. It's Am unclear. I, do I have it's that unclear. right? It, it, it really does sound like a like a mistake. It sounds like an accident that he died. Like it, it's more Heath Ledger than it is. Um, you know, uh, are we put? Are we making a new board? You know, it's interesting. Next to the nine eleven board, the Nick he, Drake board. Here's the weird thing: there's also no footage of Heath Ledger. If you really think about it, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen any? I've never seen any. Um, Not a drip. <laughs> I think you're right. No, ten things I hate about you. <laughs> Not him. <laughs> he was fucking good in that movie. That was Jake Gyllenhaal. Tomorrow, move on. <laughs> in a wig. In a wig. Are you saying Janie's that got was a gun? Kleine. No, <laughs> fucking Kleiny. Because <laughs> he's Australian. By the way, Patreon.com/slash/ThrowbackPod. That's Give how you support these us. Assholes, money. Come on. That's not, gonna, be a lot. that's not gonna help us. You Why not? You're you're assholes, you need money. I think Jay Give has them a good money. Sell. You like the, the I like think Jay had a good sell. Give these assholes money. Patreon.com throwback pod. Alright, we're gonna have you record an ad after this. You got it. Okay, thank you. And and I have to um I'm gonna be throwing throwing it back to walking in a little bit. So just want right. you to be ready I'm in, man. I'm when all it comes. There. All right, here we go. Thievery Corporation, Lebanese Blonde. I think this is early in the film, as I recall. All right, let's listen to it a little bit. Actually, you know what it is? It's the worst part of the movie. First of all, the movie doesn't... uh, There's certain things in 2004 and 2019, which is a long time now. A black person doesn't show up in the movie 
for about 20 minutes. And what it is, when when somebody does show up, it is Natalie Portman's um, semi-adopted um, brother who is like a caricature. She even refers to Dikembe. They play it as the biggest joke where she's like, this is my brother. And Zach Raff is like, what? Right. And yeah. then she even makes a comment like, there's a black guy living under the same roof as a white girl. <laughs> and then she even makes the comment like, yeah, he was one of those kids with the flies all Sally, around him. Sally Struthers, which is a reference most people now would not understand. So that's the first black person in the movie. And then and then he's there for comic relief. Is the relief second black times. person Red Man? No, Method you're racist. racist. That? That's racist. Oh, okay. That was Method Man. Method Man shows up. It's the worst part of the movie. The worst part of the movie by far. A, a bizarre detour in which uh, the whole thing where they're trying to recover the mom's jewelry that Sarsgaard took off her body, and he must have taken it off before, after he met Large at the graveyard, right? And before he yeah, buried her, right? He, yes. He buries her. Which doesn't make day. sense. No, it but makes then, sense. But then yeah. later, he's like, they're like hanging out in the graveyard. I don't know why Braff is there. I can't remember, but he's watching him bury someone else, and then and then he what what uh, Sarsgaard is doing is is taking all the jewelry, right, piles right, right. it up, and they kind of look at each other like, uh, "There's yeah. a moment. This is a moment." Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, I I totally stole your dead mom's necklace, but they don't say it. Right. I get that. But then, what what the worst part of the movie is that they because they turn into this day long journey um, to, to he has to raise money. And, and then he ends up at some motel and Where Method Man. You is, can watch the people fucking. But you, it was like a projection screen inside the walls. Was it? Or yeah. was that? There, like, well, it felt like a projection. And there was a guy sitting there with like a kid with duct tape over his mouth. Right. And some people were looking through peepholes. Like, I, I understand that like they were probably. That's right. the first draft. It was like the first draft of Flock of Dudes when there was. You guys were going down the, the Russian the, ski slopes. The ski slopes with Uzis <laughs> shooting at like. Uh, the, the boyfriend or whatever like that probably could have been fleshed out a little bit probably probably we, yeah. yeah not no not your movie no Flock your movie is perfect you, we already talked about this you nailed Flock, Flock of Dudes, Dudes our movie been, is the A1 <laughs> steak sauce movie Flock of Dudes would have been better if, the, if we would have stuck with the very first draft which was half of a like Apatow movie and half Harold and Kumar insanity. 184 pages. It literally ends. It was 184 pages and literally ends on a ski slope with awesome. the Russian ski army shooting at our lead character. Who just, who's just like, what the hell's happening? Everybody heard about the Russian ski army, right? And uh, fun fact, Dan Hans is uncredited co-writer of Flock of Dudes. Helping us write multiple scenes. That was the first thing I did when I moved to L.A. and we were at uh, the Waffle. Uh, in Hollywood, and uh, and we all read the first draft together. I remember thinking to myself, like, wait, what the fuck happened? <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody did ask, by the way, uh, you have declared vengeance <gasps> on your podcast when somebody's crossed you. Yes. And in Flock of Dudes, we also have Brett Gelman. He declares vengeance on his roommates. Somebody asked, who's stealing from who? Who owes who money? It's all the same pot. It, this the vengeance came from us living together, and whenever somebody would fuck somebody else over, we would declare vengeance on one another. There are a couple of things in the, if you are a listener of the around we the NFL get podcast Brett to do the arm movement though. There is a distinct arm movement of declaring vengeance. Of declaring vengeance, <laughs> yeah, just hitting your forearm, the forearm yeah. hit, slapping the forearm with the other hand. There are a couple of things when Jason and Bob and I and our buddy Brian all live together um, that have carried over to the around the NFL podcast. Declaring vengeance, certainly, and also La Raville Magnifico yes. originated out of the old post-show house in Hollywood, um, which, of course, 
Jay, you can explain to the audience, the people that don't know, what that is. Uh, that's basically when somebody says or does something that reveals a part of their nature that <laughs> is untoward. <laughs> their truest self. Their truest yes. self. And you, they don't know that you now know that, but it, you can never look at that person the same exactly. ever again. And it's like if I were to say... I used to uh, meet up with this girl who never <laughs> wanted me to go to her house, <laughs> but always a comfort in. <laughs> There's some reveals. There's multiple love reveals in that one. But uh, you know what? When you, I will listen again. Bad job by me. Terrible job by me. <laughs> I was in a bad place in my life. I was learning. I was. It's hard to be in your mid twenties. But the the man that's truly when it's a love reveal is that doesn't even realize that you were a piece True. of shit. 100%, yes. But true. also, you can even a guy that does realize it, it could still mean he's a piece of shit. It doesn't erase. Yeah. And, I, and I understand Can't that erase well. your past. Exactly. All right, here we go. Uh, next track. Um, so Simon and Garfunkel, The Graduate, Garden State, Had to do Zach it. Braff. That's what he was going for. He was trying to connect the dots. So here it is. Right on the nose. Are you okay with the pace of the show right now? I just uh, feel like maybe we, if we could pick up the pace <laughs> while I piss. Do you have like do you have somewhere to go, somewhere to be? You piss out my dickhole. Oh no, <laughs> no. All right, Jay's off. Don't do it on any of the actual sod or grass. Find a dirt patch. All right, now that Jay's out of the garage, how do you think he's doing so far? Oh, if we're being honest here, this has been the Garden State of Podcasts. <laughs> it's it's working in the moment, I think, yes. but I think 15 years from now when we look we're back on look this, back it's going to be problematic. A little cringy. A little cringy. But what about Jay's performance in particular? Because he won't hear this until he's listening to the show <laughs> a couple weeks from now. Well, he's he's drunk about six beers now. Too many, maybe. Maybe he should have paced himself. He never seems to learn. Doesn't seem to learn. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be coming back any second, so when he does, we need to... Yeah, no, we're just enjoying Simon and Garfunkel and uh, not talking about his... his we're not giving drinking him problem. His drinking problem, <laughs> giving him a performance review. By the way, he's sleeping over tonight. So I didn't know that. I found <laughs> I that out in real time. I could time. tell. I could tell. I could see it I on your face. I it, but Emily, I'll have to let her know and let her down easy on that. Warn your kids that there's a snoring Viking in the next room. I love Jay. He's always welcome, but I just didn't think of that. <laughs> I mean, I'd much rather him stay here than you know drive drunk. But Simon and Garfunkel, welcome back, Jay. Welcome back. Simon and Garfunkel, um, great, great musicians. But maybe Paul Simon's better? Yes or no, Bob? Ooh, don't put me on that spot, Dan. Hey, Jay, welcome back. Art Garfunkel, always known as the Schmegba of Simon Garfunkel. <laughs> oh, no. right, what's next? I like that well, song a lot, by the way. That, again, props to Braff. I didn't know a lot about uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Everyone knows the, the songs that are most famous. A little out of the loop, I got to say. I didn't even know that was a song. I know that's one of their most famous songs. But when I heard it for the first time, it was Garden State. It's, you know what? It's not one of their 
overplayed most famous songs. Right. The one, one that's the, a little under the right. radar, but fans know it well. They always play it in concert. Anyway, here we go. Iron and Wine. Thinking it's a sign that the freckles in our eyes are mirror images. And when we kiss, they're perfectly. If a sleepy six makes close your eyes and dream when you are done with my dog. Wine and sex. May nice. seem like a stretch, but it's thoughts like this. Are you, right. are you are you now just subliminally trying to tell us what you fucked to? <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to. <laughs> I now realize that the sleepy sex mix song is a direct descendant of Iron and Wines. Well, it's a combination of the Iron and Wine version and the Postal Service version. <laughs> postal service the same song. This is a postal service song covered by cover. Iron and Wine, and we talked about this on the. And post- who recorded the song? Right, I gotta. I'm gonna save this right now on my music library because I ask the same question every time. Bob. Yes. Who recorded the Sleepy Sex song? Joe P. We'll uh, we'll tweet it out because it's a great song. Yeah. And I'm sure there are other people that want to sleep and or fuck and and fuck to the same song. Here it is. And by the way. This this album, the soundtrack, is filled with songs that qualify for the Sleepy Sex Mix. Well, I mean, a dozen songs ago. My when- Slowdown Mix, which is my mix of songs that you can make love to. And then when you're done, go to sleep. Go to sleep! <laughs> go to sleep! Go to sleep. Stay asleep. Don't ever wake up. Die. Wait till Die the next morning. Sleep. Wait till the maid comes, wakes you up, because you're at the comfort end. I thought that was going to be a Heath Ledger joke. <laughs> Housekeeping. I thought you were doing a Ledger joke. That was too soon there, Bob. I would never. He doesn't. He never existed. <laughs> Wait, so your theory is that Heath Ledger. Jesus Christ. Three times. That's three. That's three. There it's it is. number five still? It's just it's still That's five, five beers with three Mike hits. Um, your theory, Bob, is that Heath Ledger never existed. Prove it. <clears throat> Jay, help me out here. Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Prove it. He's oh, wearing makeup shit. for most of the Dude, film. That is true. Does he ever take the makeup off? Nope. Not once. No. Fuck. Not once. What about I mean in the credits his it marriage says, to that girl, the lady that had a kid that She's an actress. Prove it. Michelle oh, Williams. Fuck. I don't know, man. Maybe Heath Ledger never existed. Put it on the board. The only problem is that as wrong as Bob seems, we can't seem to get him in the gotcha moment. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's kind of like Trump in that way. Let me just say, uh, fuck Iron and Wine. Fuck that song. Fuck that version. Postal Service did it better. Fuck you for doing a whiny little mopey version of it. Mm. Fuck you. It <laughs> never does sound. It, it, it never sounds like it. a version of the I song. I never where it's liked like, it. It always bothered me. It's like you call somebody up in the middle of the night and you're on their answering machine and they're like, hey, man, I was just trying to. What is that song? It's goes, breathy. There is always <laughs> something in the bright lights. Anyway, get back to me. I'm wasted. And you don't ever remember yeah. me for the phone call. We, <laughs> we, we've we done this album, right? We have, Plus yes. This is the version that Bob finds to be superior. Far superior. It's Let's the, listen. Right. And uh, 
I'm going to say Heath Ledger existed and he probably loved this song. Listen, I'm probably right about 50% of these things that I'm arguing right now. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm like kind of coming on to, to Bob's Heath Ledger <laughs> never existed. Me too, dude. <laughs> Prove it. Flat Ledger. Out of respect. I'm a flat Ledger now. <laughs> I'm thinking it's a sign But the freckles in our eyes are mirror images And when we kiss they're perfectly that's good. If you want to listen to it more, you know, listen to it. Do it on your own fucking, your own fucking dime. dime. Don't, hey, don't download I'm the song. I'm Andrew Lodgeman, star of Garden State. Lodge. Lodge. His name is Lodgeman. Yeah, I was going to say, can we talk about the name? But he feels small. The name bothers oh, me. You're the right. Name, the name bothers oh, me. Oh, no. He is a large man. And yet Lodgeman. he's invisible. Large. Large. Hey, Large. Largeman. My name is Largeman. But I feel small. I'm a guy that doesn't even fit into my own name. How about when he hugs her mom and it goes on a little too long <laughs> and it's just so on the nose. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> large slash Chris Walken, take us through the moment in the bathtub. Uh, you hadn't cried for years and years and years because you were over medicated by your father slash psychiatrist. And uh, Sam brought it all out of you. Uh, and made you feel something again to the point where you teared up in the bathtub that your mother drowned in. Which, by the way, weird move, hanging out with your girlfriend in the bathtub your mother drowned in. Like like seven days ago. Seven days you know, later. Uh, she takes a, a Dixie cup and captures your first tear uh, since you were a child. Take us through that, uh, Andrew Largeman slash Christopher Walken. Natalie, I don't know what your character's name is. Sam. Sam. Here we are, sitting where my mom died. It's so weird, mostly because when I watched this part of the movie, I didn't get this far. (laughs) So it's asking a lot of you right now. (laughs) Let's see what I can do. Let's spin gold out of horse shit. (laughs) What I'm feeling right now, as I'm about to tear up, oh, (laughs) boo-hoo. My mom died here, dead as doornail. All I can think of is, are you 12? <laughs> I don't know, I'll man. take it. That was great. <laughs> right. we'll 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 Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Yeah. That's the subtext of the scene. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah, like, you know, we you, all you know deep it. down. Yeah. That's the subtext. Uh, there you go. This is Frau Frau, Let Go. We heard it at the top of the show. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's the scene that like the, the film ends on. Let's listen to it a little bit more because it is a bit of a banger. From Frau Frau, who were never heard from again. Winding down, Bob. Yes. So, can I, any other thoughts you have? Yes, I want to give, I want to give Zach Braff a little, a few more props, and I think we've done a good job of balancing the props with shitting on him insanely for following his dreams. I agree. I think we've done a decent job. Um, it's been fine. As much as we've like looked back on the movie in retrospect and been able to pick out the flaws of it for being sort of dated or being kind of things of their time. Mm-hmm. The one thing I think he was ahead of his time on was 
tackling the issue of over-medication in 2004. Mm. And it was one of these things where when the movie came out, it was never something I thought about or read about or people talked about. And in the years since, it's become a much bigger conversation about these kids that start getting medicated when they're young and they're on medicine their whole lives and it's affected their personality and ability to cope and led to increased suicides. And that's something that is dealt with in this movie. Like, it's a huge part of this movie that I don't think was even appreciated at the time. Right. That now watching it is like, wow, that was really, really onto something. There's a um, part of me watching it wants to punch him in the face for the first half of the movie because he's just so mopey and everything. But to to your point, he's essentially playing a guy that's so medicated because he goes off all the drugs when he flies back east that he's just completely numbed out. And there's that great scene when the movie starts where he's laying in the bed and he opens up the mirror in the bathroom and it's just rows and rows of carefully, meticulously ordered medications. Uh, so you're right. I'm with you on that, Bob. They did a nice job of that. Are you a Scientologist, you fucking weirdo? You, you, have a, you have a weird problem with people fucking medicating their brain chemistry? What the fuck? No. No, Over I medication, totally, he's I totally to. agree. I totally yeah. agree. Um, I'm not comfortable talking about my religions. <laughs> religions. <laughs> my religions that help me in my career. Jason, are you an SP? I don't know. Them. What is Suppressive mean? person. Oh, shit. Probably. I'm with you on that, Bob. Any other final thoughts uh, upon rewatching the movie, Bob? You know, when I started watching it, like I said, I had texted you that I was uh, fucking dreading it, that I had to do homework and spend a night watching Garden State. When I started watching it, I was doing the thing where I was half on my phone and half checking <laughs> right. in and out. I love that you've spent money on it, by the way. And I had to spend four fucking You can't dollars. take it out of our throwback fund either. No, I'm just that spending that out, out of, out of your personal Always fund. check YouTube, man. Always <laughs> check YouTube. Uh, but you know what? By the midpoint of the movie, the phone was down and I was back in. And I thought it did a good job. It got job. you. It got me because it's interesting and it does, in all the ways that it doesn't hold up, it holds up in a lot of ways that make it interesting and worth watching. It's certainly a time capsule for that time. Yes, and the, music, really and the music speaks a lot to that movie. Like It makes it even more interesting and it kind of pulls you in. I think he took a page out of Tarantino's uh, handbook. He wrote a film to music. And certain images that he wanted to plug into a story and made a story out of those. And fuck, dude, he made a lot of fucking money off this movie. It's, the, it's a good film. The, the strange detours, um, including the rock quarry where he meets the man. <laughs> I mean, this, he meets the hyper well adjusted white man and his pretty blonde <laughs> white wife in their baby in the quarry in that the infinite been, abyss. Just gonna say, 2019, that would have been a great role for a person of color. It yes, it didn't connect with me exactly. <laughs> it didn't connect with me ever watching it when I was younger, because um, it's pretty on the nose now. Uh, with a little bit of time to reflect, that that's he's trying to get to that point and be that person, where mm. he's like well adjusted and he has a family and. He's trying to figure out this infinite abyss, 
but also he understands he never will truly understand it. But part of the adventure of life is searching it out and looking deep into like all that stuff is and very on the know, nose. He doesn't know if this boat's going to float, but they're happy anyway. <laughs> so and, the yeah. movie it's not a, a perfect um, uh, piece of work, but it is an enjoyable watch and it moves pretty quickly. And it's small stakes. Jay, to your point about, it, you know, in time it was wartime and, and all the two wars at once and everything. There's nothing going on in this movie that even harkens to what's going on in the world other than this this whiny white boy who's trying to figure out his problems. And as a whiny white boy at the time of the movie's release, that connected with me. And looking back on it now, uh, yeah, you, you kind of cringe a little bit, but that almost makes the movie more authentic because it's like about taking your life a little bit too seriously when you're young. Uh, and, that, and that's what happens when you're in your 20s. Like you think, you think the world you live in is like this incredibly important place where you're the star of the movie and this is actually a movie where this incredibly this person that's this this white boy who's incredibly important in his own world is the star of the movie so it's a sneaky brilliant but let's no, also too not, far let's let's but not forget I'm okay I, under, with it. I'm okay I understand with that. why it was so popular yes and why people connected with it. let's not forget that it's a movie about a guy who's who's on antidepressants or whatever the fuck he's on and then by the end of the movie he's saying you and i are in love and we're gonna get together oh yeah and that, we're gonna start a life that and he calls her samantha for the first time which also get, it's almost like a screenwriter would write that like you're not sam anymore i'm in love with you so now you're samantha yeah that relationship is doomed as fuck Oh, no I've been off 100%. my I've been off my meds for three days. Let's get married. Well, he yeah. says like, "What do we do now?" That's how the movie ends, and right. we heard at the top of the show. What do we assume happened? Did did she come with him to L.A. or did he quit his job and his career? They sat well, together in Jersey, the you know back what? of a bus, s- and they just drove off into the sunset, and they realized, "Oh, Mike Nichols should have directed this." <laughs> oh, it's no. the freshman. He didn't Ouch, have enough. Jay, he take, didn't taking shots of breath in a big spot. And I love it. Fuck he didn't guy. have enough of a career in L.A. to go back to. I think he stayed in New Jersey with her. But then they broke up. And then he definitely went back to L.A. without oh, her. Oh, you know <laughs> what? He found whatever their version of the rock quarry was. Right. Oh, didn't you play the retired quarterback? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was me. Oh, okay. They hit that pretty hard, You're by the way. You're just going to live in New Jersey forever? Definitely not. I'm going to drop this fucking weird 12-year-old and move back to LA. <laughs> At some point, I'm out of here. They hit it pretty hard, the R-bombs in this, which, again... It was a different time. A different time. Natalie Portman saying the word retard over and over again. <laughs> Can't All get right. that. Jay, as is custom in the garage when we have a guest, the guest always selects the song that will be added to our Spotify playlist. Which, might I might I say... The worst tradition that Dan invented one day yeah, that we is. can't undo. Really but here we are. But here we are. And because <laughs> there will never be a Nick Drake song on this fucking playlist, it's going on there, baby. I'm sorry. It's a beautiful <laughs> don't song. A, don't apologize. It needs to go on there. Bam. And Nick Drake. I love it. Don't apologize. It's a great choice. Uh, one of these things first by Nick Drake is the latest entry to the Spotify playlist. And... And Bob, while we're on the subject, don't think I didn't notice that you did not add Around the World by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, it must be added. That must be rectified. We, it, this That is the podcast. If you want the Spotify playlist to be the playlist of record for this podcast, it must be Around the World. We can live around the world. We can make time. Sucking in, sucking number, in. I'm in my prime. One, you're disrespecting Nick Drake by singing that over his voice. 
Number two. Uh, number two, that episode never happened. Prove it. <laughs> Wait, Shit, well, he's got that, us again. I mean, I was going to say you're taking it too far, but again, God damn it, I don't have a smoking gun to prove, prove you it. wrong. Prove it. Thank you to our Patreonies for keeping this thing going, especially Bruno the Sponsor and Pettit the Mattis, our top tier patrons. But seriously, from $2 on, everybody is helping making this thing happen. So thank you very much. Also, Kleine. You can be a $2 guy. Like, you know, you don't have to be Why like. Why are you fixated on Kleiny? Kleiny, pony up, man. You're getting this for free, okay? You're part of the reason this fucking <laughs> thing still exists. What are you doing, man? Stop punching kangaroos and go to your bank account and goddamn give them those. You know what's the amazing money. thing, too, listeners? That this is only the first of two pods tonight with Jason Zumwalt. He's going to be back and doing another show, and it's going to be wild. And it's going to be definitely thrown out. Uh, and we <laughs> we will say goodbye, not with Nick Drake, although that would be respectful, but with the great Aunt Sylvia singing at the funeral you of Zach Grass. Yes! <laughs> Nicely done. Yes! Mother... Aunt Sylvia, take us home. Thanks, everybody. Till next week.